you stand in reverence as we read these words of Scripture this morning from 2 Corinthians? I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such a one I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Paul is struggling with boasting as he writes this passage. As you read through his letters, they make up about half of the Christian scriptures of the New Testament. You see this crop up from time to time where he wants to tell you about his credentials and how he's been such a great person of faith. It seems that he struggles with a fairly large ego throughout his life and ministry. And sometimes it seems that it helps him persevere in the face of difficult circumstances. Other times it seems to hinder his work in ministry on behalf of Christ. But it is a good reminder for all of us that all of us do have foibles and weaknesses. We do all struggle. We do not all struggle with the same issues, but we all have our struggles. Paul is a good example of how being devoted to Christ helps us grow over time, not only in our own maturity or sense of self or a healthy sense of self or clear boundaries, but also maturity in Christ and allowing God's love to pour into our lives and to transform us into whom God intends for us to be. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing this group of Christians that he has started, he has developed, but there are people questioning his authority and his fitness as a leader. And so he wants to boast, to tell them he is appropriately seen as an apostle and their leader. But he says instead he will tell them a story. He says, a person I know had this great experience where they were 
caught up in a spiritual experience and taken up into heaven. They heard things that mortals should not hear and cannot repeat. They got insights or glimpses of God or the heavens that others don't have. He says he knows this person. Biblical scholars read through this text and say he certainly seems to know a lot of the details. And he accidentally, it seems, slips into the first person before he finished telling the story. So this is Paul talking about himself, but trying not to boast. But then Paul describes another problem with boasting. He knows he still has weaknesses. He knows he still has weaknesses. He says he has this experience, or the person he knows has this experience, but then he says, I was elated or ecstatic. He was on a spiritual high. But he said so that he would not stay there and be too elated, that he was given this thorn in the flesh from Satan or from the adversary, that he was given this pain, this thorn, and he wanted it to go away. He wanted the pain to stop. He describes what happens in verse 7. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. But Paul's impulse is the same as we might have. He really wants the thorn to be pulled out, to leave him, to go away, for the pain to stop, for the problem to disappear. Haven't you prayed that way when you've had a problem? God, just take this away. Make it go away. Fix this for me. Paul says he prays three times about this very thing, asking that this thorn leave him. But apparently... His prayer was not answered in the way that he had hoped. The thorn was not removed. The pain didn't go away. The problem persisted. I bet we have all had that experience. But the interesting thing to note in this passage, I think, is that the good news flows right out of this disappointment of Paul's. It flows right out of a prayer not being answered that we get this key passage, one of the key passages in all of Christian Scripture, when he says the Lord spoke to him. It's in verse 9. But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness my grace is sufficient for you for powers made perfect in weakness the distinction here i think is between eliminating the pain or the thorn versus allowing god to transform us even while the thorn somehow remains i've been reading a book entitled the spirituality of imperfection 
two authors take several traditions, Christian tradition, Buddhist tradition, Jewish tradition, and Alcoholics Anonymous, and weave those together, writing about the parallels in terms of what the spiritual journey looks like. They look at spirituality from several different angles. They give one definition fairly early in the book that I think will help us today. They write a spirituality of imperfection, suggests that spirituality's first step involves facing self squarely, seeing oneself as one is. And then this has how they describe us, mixed up, paradoxical, incomplete, and imperfect. Further, they say that it was an insight from these traditions to recognize that our problems, our thorns, if you will, our doubts, our imperfections, our addictions contain something amazing within them. This is what they write. Our darkness, our sins, our doubts, the thorn, if you will, is a thirst for God is a thirst for the spiritual, for whatever might alleviate this painful side of the human condition, for whatever might somehow fill the empty hole in our human being. We seek help for what we cannot face or accomplish alone. In seeking help, we accept and admit our own powerlessness. And in that acceptance and admission, in the acknowledgement that we are not in control, spirituality is born. It sounds a lot to me like what Paul is saying. I prayed three times that this will be taken away. It's still there, but I received this message, this paradoxical message from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. It seems that if we could comprehend that within all of us there are good and bad impulses, good and evil within all of us, imperfections within all of us saint and sinner right here in one body one self that if we could comprehend that it would open us to god's presence more fully if you remember i talked about this fourfold spiritual path that some theologians and christian leaders write about and they say that we all have the experience of positive things happening in our life and negative things happening in our lives. They say too often we try to ignore the negative. But a better path is to recognize that we all have both of these and allow them to work together where creative energy comes out of the mix of those experiences. And as we open ourselves to God with this creative energy, that transformation can happen for us. The authors of the book I just referenced, 
use this metaphor. They say that a wise person said that sinners are closer to God than saints. And the student said, how is that? And the wise one said, each one of us is connected to God by a string. And every time we sin or stray, we break the string. But that God grabs the broken string and ties a knot and ties us back together. And reconnects us. And every time we break the string, God ties it back together and ties it back together. And so, in fact, those of us with knots in our string, which would be all of us, God is drawing closer and closer to God's self. That God is reconnecting us even in the midst of our stumbles and falls and foibles, even in the midst of our trials and troubles, and tribulations, that God is at work in our lives, tying the string, reconnecting us to our source. Recognizing and embracing this perspective can help us embrace the fullness of life, embrace our life more fully, trust God more deeply. The authors of the book, The Spirituality of Imperfection, point this out they write god can exercise divine mercy when we avow our defects our defects acknowledged instead of repelling god draw god to us satisfying god's longing to be merciful as this is understood through meditation, the person realizes that those things by which one feels unlovable are exactly what one has to offer to God. Exactly what attracts God. The Lord whispers, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. I was in this room a week ago Saturday with the family of Tom Campbell. He was a longtime Boston Avenue member, served in a variety of ways, moved to Florida where he had grown up for the last few years of his life, became sick, ill, passed away in Florida back in February. We just had his celebration of life service here a week ago Saturday. I knew Tom years ago when I was serving with Dr. Biggs. I was the youth minister. Tom's youngest son, Judd, was in the youth group. So he and I had known each other for a long time. As I was working with the widow, Carla Campbell, to plan the service, Judd sent me an email and said, I would like to speak at the service. I said, that would be great. Would you write your comments down ahead of time and send them to me before? I'll be speaking, you'll be speaking. He lives out of town. I just wanted to know the direction he was going. He struggled with that, but finally he sent me some comments. They were beautiful. He took an approach I've never seen before of asking questions of his father on the other side of death. So the whole meditation was 
him asking his dad questions and wondering what his dad might have to say from the other side while he was still on this side. It was beautifully written. We had lunch before the funeral here. He was ready to go. We were going through the order of the service. We came to that part where it was his turn. He was seated with the family. He came up. He looked confident. He was ready to go. He reached into his vest pocket, pulled out his papers, laid them on the pulpit here, and just looked at them for a minute. Then he looked up at the people. Then he looked back down at his papers. He looked back up at the people. He looked back down at the papers a third time. It was an uncomfortably long time. He was looking at the papers. And then rather than speaking, he stepped away from the pulpit. I was seated right here. He looked at me like he was done. (laughs) I looked at him like, not yet. (laughs) But I understood what was happening. He was caught in that liminal space between wanting to eulogize his father and pay tribute to this man who had been so important that he loved so deeply. And yet he was caught in the depth of his grief and the pain and the reality that my dad's no longer here. But I knew what he was feeling. I lost my father when I was 24. It was one of the most disorienting experiences of my whole life. I know the helplessness of facing death, of losing someone that's really important, that we really love, that we feel like is gone too soon. But you know what happened? I went to the funeral of my father. I wasn't planning on speaking. I knew that wasn't for me. But through most of the service, back in my home church, First Church Oklahoma, we had these long wooden pews. I was seated with the rest of my family for most of the service. I was crying so hard, the whole pew was shaking. But God got me through that. Oh, I didn't speak at the funeral, but I understood what Judd was going through. But God used that experience in my life when I was a young adult not quite through seminary over and over again reminding me of how God brought me through so that now I can sit with a family with a sense of calmness and assurance that just as God carried me through God can carry them through so when Judd stepped away I didn't jump up and bail him out I just gestured back to the pulpit, believing that God could get him through. And he stepped back up. And he read what he had written. And it was meaningful and beautiful and powerful and a great tribute to his dad. He wasn't sure he could get through that. But you know, he did. I think God brought him through. Because the Lord says through Paul... Time and again in our grief, in our troubles, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect 
in weakness. The other night I was watching 60 Minutes. They showed a picture of President Jimmy Carter shaking hands with Daniel Ortega. It was taken at a time when Ortega was a revolutionary in his home country of Nicaragua fighting against an oppressive regime trying to overthrow this dictator. Ortega came to visit the United States asking for help. We didn't help that much, I don't think, but Ortega and the Sandinistas prevailed and took over the government. And Ortega was elected president. He served fine for a while, then he stepped away, but then he ran again and won. And then he began to make these changes in their constitution that rather than having a limited presidency that he could stay for life, and rather than having checks and balances, basically he could do whatever he wants. And he's become one of the most oppressive dictators on the face of the globe. He's become what the regime was that he had fought against. I think he's a perfect example of the old saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But in great contrast to him, stood there shaking hands with him, President Jimmy Carter. Now, whether or not you think he was a great president or you liked his policies, he's someone you should give some attention to if you're a follower of Christ. Because you know what he did when he finished his time in office? He moved back to Plains, Georgia, where he was from. He began to go to his little Baptist church every Sunday again. He taught Sunday school every Sunday he started helping Habitat for Humanity nail boards together and build houses and paint walls. He moved back into the house he and his wife had built before he ever went into politics. A house he helped frame with his own two hands. A two-bedroom ranch style. The realtors say it's valued $50,000 less than the median house in all of Georgia. One commentator even wrote, you know what? The house is not worth as much as the Secret Service vehicle parked in the driveway for his security detail. They say he shops primarily at the dollar store in Plains, Georgia. This is former president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world. When he's president, living in Plains, Georgia. I think the only thing that matches his frugality is his humility. And I for sure think he understands this key passage that Paul shares with us today. My grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. Power did not corrupt Jimmy Carter. did not make him a megalomaniac. It did not make him thirst to hang on to power and control once he had tasted it. He went back to be a follower of Christ in Plains, Georgia. 
I think, is doing his best every day to be a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul ends this passage that we looked at today by saying this, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. It is the paradox of the gospel. It is the paradox in which we live when we live in Christ. May it be so for each of us. Amen. And thanks be to God.